0: Well, good evening. Let's uh, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray, Father, that you would encourage us, and at the same time, Lord, you would teach us to fear you, teach us to number our days. And, Lord, we ask for your help tonight. Help us to be alert and awake. And, Lord, help me to clearly communicate in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if we have chapter 31, paragraph 1. This ought to be a great encouragement and a great hope to you. And uh, can we get rid of the echo here? I'm hearing myself talk to myself. A great encouragement and also to those that may not be in Christ, a great it should be a great sobering. It should create in you a soberness and a fear. So we hear here we see in the confession the bodies of men after death return to dust, and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise where they are with Christ. And behold, the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. So here, if we boil it down, we see two distinctions. The first distinction that we need to look at is the distinction between the soul and the body, the body and the soul. Okay, Soma, uh, Suke, Numa would be another spirit. The the reformers like to see the body in two parts, man in two parts, body and soul. Um, others would like to see it as three part: body, soul, and spirit. We see both in scripture. We can we can use soul and spirit though here interchangeably. The spirit of man alive in Christ, uh, placed in our soul, if we want to say it that way. And then the second distinction is between the righteous in Christ and the wicked. And so, what's the natural, what, what happens to our bodies when we die? Except for Enoch, except for Elijah, except for the believers that will be alive at the time of Christ's return. At death, the physical body begins to decay, it returns to the dust. In fact, in Acts 13.36, David said, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. His body saw corruption. You know, it's, Christ's body did not see this corruption, and this is the distinction in that verse in Acts uh, chapter 13. But the corruption means that it, it rots, it deteriorates, it's it's like if you see an animal on the side of the road and it's been there a while. You know, we call it roadkill, but it, it, it just begins to decay, decay and rot and it, it becomes part of the soil again. In fact, we see in, in Genesis 3.19, after, you have the curse and the promise of the seed to come. But God pronounces in Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread to, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. We hear that often, right, at a a funeral service. We hear, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, these kinds of things. But literally, the physical body returns to the dust from which it came. But the soul of man is separated from the body, and the soul of man, the spirit of man, returns to God the question is to where does that soul spirit go that may be the most important question that you ever have to answer in your life it is in fact the most important question where will your soul go where will it spend eternity in Ecclesiastes twelve seven, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Waldron says, physical death is a radical and unnatural separation of the body and soul and a complete contradiction of their created characters. The body and soul of man were created to be one, to not be separated, but because of Adam's fall, In Adam, we all died. We died spiritually. And now when we die physically, the body and soul are separated. There's another state that's to come after this what we call intermediate state, and it's when our bodies will once again be reunited with our soul. We see that throughout Scripture. There is an intermediate state between death and the resurrection of the dead. And when we die, we enter that state, an intermediate state, and we're waiting for something. In fact, the whole creation is waiting for something. The soul never dies nor sleeps. That's what our confession says. But lives, having an immortal subsistence, an immortal subsistence immortal meaning deathless it's alive forever physical death does not put to death the end physical death does not end the life of the soul think about our confessions the soul, or our catechisms that we teach our children we have a soul that can never die it's eternal But this intermediate state is not the final destiny of man. The soul is assigned at death to a preliminary reward or punishment, awaiting the final judgment. That's where we'll we'll be. We'll be in an intermediate state until the final judgment. For most of us, and, and actually all of us, as we live, death is the most horrible physical event conceivable. There's a finality, isn't it, when we say goodbye to somebody. And so especially somebody that perishes not knowing Christ. And so death, as we read, as we sung tonight, there's a sting to death. It hurts. There's no pain like that. And then there's a second distinction. So the first distinction is between the soul and the body. What happens to them at death? They're separated. The body rots, decays, returns to dust. But the spirit, the soul, returns to God. The first we'll look at is where does the soul, the spirit of those that are righteous in Christ, where does where does their soul go? And by the way, there is no other place. There's no purgatory. There is... No other place, there's either hell or there is heaven, the presence of God. And by the way, there's no interim, though it's an intermediary state or an intermediate state. There's no time out, there's no waiting, there's no resting in the grave. Your, your soul is not still in the body in the grave. Your soul goes immediately into the presence of of the Lord. You don't have your body, but your soul. And here's a proof text in Luke 23, 43. Jesus said to him, to the thief on the cross, Assuredly, I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, it was the same day that Jesus died on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise immediately the soul again the body lies dormant dead rotting in the grave but the soul ascends into the presence of the Lord and we see that in Philippians 1 in in verse 23 where Paul says "I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed I'm betwixt two I have a desire to depart and be with Christ yet to remain is more needful for you He was conflicted in his mind. He himself, he wanted to be with Christ and then he knew the church needed him, needed his gifts, they needed him. But for him, it was far better to be with Christ, to be with Christ, not to be in a dormant state for the next 2,000 years till Christ returns. The spirits of all believers immediately enter heaven after death. They must go to heaven because the Bible knows of no other place that they could go. There's no third place. And children, this is important. Some of you that are, you're in the valley of decisions. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision. What did Elijah say? How long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, worship him. If Baal be be God, worship him. Jesus said in John 14, you recall in that great chapter as is, is Jesus is, is warning them, he's going to go to the cross, he's going to prepare a place for them. He said to Thomas, where, or maybe it was Philip, I, I don't recall, but he said, where I am, there ye shall be also. So where I'm going to, you're coming as well. And then this other section that we have, oh, back up to top. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise. So, the moment we die, if if you're in Christ, your soul is perfected. That's important. And Hebrews 12 23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Okay, to the church, the general assembly, to the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits. Remember, the spirit, the soul of just men, that's righteous men, made perfect. And here's why that is so important. To dwell in the light of the glory of God demands moral perfection. We're justified, right, here on earth. We've been justified, we've been declared righteous because of Christ's sacrifice. We're justified, declared righteous according to the law. God accepts us in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved because of Christ. And we're in Christ. But now when we step through the veil and our body and soul are separated, our spirit, our soul can worship God, be in his presence. Because of this, we've been made perfect. Because God is holy and because God is perfect. We can only approach him in that way, the man was expelled from the presence of God in the garden and may not be admitted back until he has been restored to ethical perfection. God has done this for us in Christ. Amen. What a blessed thing he has done. 1 John three one. May this be a great encouragement to all of you of what is in store for you. Listen to this promise if you have it. Turn there in 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. For the world does not know us because it did not know Him. That's why you seem so odd to the world because they don't know Christ. They don't know you. They don't know... He says, Beloved, now are we the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when we know... We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there's a further admonishment to us, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself. What a promise. And then, as saints... There's scripture that says in Revelation 6, it says in verse 11 that a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. See, there's a rest, there's a season, and we're waiting for the resurrection of the dead, we're waiting for our glorified bodies. So there's a, a season of rest, but it's in the presence of God, it's in heaven. Also the saints will reign with him in the intermediate state and sit as judges. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne also as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so in that state we, we live, we reign, we serve as priests. At home with the Lord, yet not complete, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.1. I saw something here as I was studying for this that I had never seen before, and what an encouragement! And yet, a, a truth is in the a home with the Lord, yet is not complete. Yet, waiting for the reuni- reuniting of our bodies. We're waiting for we're waiting for two things. We're waiting for a redeemed creation. We're waiting for the new earth. New. We're waiting for. Everything to be restored. In fact, the whole creation, Paul says in Romans 8, the whole creation is groaning and is in travail. Not just you and I as believers, but the animal. Everything is in travail because of the curse. Groaning, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. When you and I are reunited with our bodies, our resurrected bodies, But until that time, so here, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that's our physical body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's your spirit, man. That's your soul. That's the most important part of you. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, That's our glorified body. That's our resurrection body, that Christ already has received his. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. See that? There's an unclothing that's going to occur when you die. When the body is separated from the soul, there's an unclothing. And you see it were those that are martyred and the beheaded that you see in the book of Revelation. They're saying, How long, Lord? How long, Lord? Why? Because they're they're disembodied. They're waiting to be for their soul to be reunited with their body. Because that's what we were created for. To live on the earth, not on some cloud somewhere. And we want to see the redemption of all things, of all of God's creation. And so we have to first be unclothed before look at before we can be further clothed. Not because we want to be unclothed, because that's what's going to happen when we die, but further clothed, not with this mortal body, but with our resurrection body. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee he gave us the earnest of his spirit he put his spirit in us so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body we're absent from the lord see so as long as as i'm in this still in this body i'm absent from the presence of lord but when i go into the presence of lord i'm going to be absent from the body but only temporarily till i can be further clothed if that makes any sense We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Paul's saying, well, I'm okay. It'd be better to be in the presence of the Lord even though I don't have my body, but I still want to wait for my new body. No more pains in that new body. You don't have to fight with the flesh. And then what about the intermediate state of the wicked? It's great for the believer. And boy, you want to be in Christ. The confession is a sober reminder reminder of what awaits the wicked. Immediately, they go to hell. That's where they go. It's torment and darkness. It's not a place where they get to party with their friends and have a good time because all their buddies are there. Nor is it a lying down like Jehovah Witnesses teach and others. I think a lot of people in our modern day would think, that you know what, when I die, dust to dust. Just dust. I cease to exist. No, you don't. There is something that comes after death and it's called the final judgment. And there's an intermediate state before the final judgment. Before you're finally assigned to where you'll spend eternity. But your soul will live forever either in the presence of God in heaven Or in hell, in torment and darkness. And their expectation is the judgment day is coming. The great day is coming. See, they also have souls, again, that can never die. There's no escape. They're not in purgatory. Somebody can't have a mass and pray them out of it. They can't offer up Christ again as a sacrifice. There's no escape. Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of Eternal fire. Eternal fire. And what's assigned to the wicked is the same that has been assigned to the fallen angels. Second Peter two nine. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment. So here's here's our proof text. They're reserved. The unjust are reserved under punishment till the day of judgment. It's a place of conscious torment, darkness, being chained and being burned. Proverbs 14.32, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Now in the Greek, we have two words for hell. One is Gehenna and one is Sheol. And there's great debate over these words. And we don't have, we're out of time now. There's not time to to go into this, maybe in the next chapter. And then Hades, uh, or, or Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell, excuse me. And Hades and Gehenna, the Greek words. And there's some nuances to that. If you if you can open your Bibles quickly to Luke 16, it's a picture of of Lazarus. And we need not we need to remember that this is all about this this whole thing is really not a, a picture of of death. This is this is not what this text is really all about in context. This is about the five brothers who having been warned by the law and the prophets and have not heard it they have not responded to the law and the prophets and jesus saying they're saying yeah but if somebody comes back from the dead they'll believe jesus saying no they won't and though one is raised from the dead they still won't believe because it's not in them to believe but there's something we we ought to see in luke 16 uh in verse 25 but abraham said son remember that in your lifetime You received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. This is what we need to see here. There's this gulf. This is not this little gap. We can't cross over between. There's a gulf. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. When you're in that intermediate state and you are in hell, there's no, there's no, second chance. It's now. And Hebrews nine twenty seven says that, as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The judgment's delayed. The judgment won't occur until Christ returns, till the great uh, white throne judgment. But there's this intermediate state. But the judgment is coming. And that's what you and I ought to be preparing for. In John 8, 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. Somebody will say, How could God torment somebody forever? That is, what kind of a loving God could do that? What kind of a loving God would send His Son to die for you who is unworthy of that death? And for someone to reject him? There isn't a punishment that's great enough for that rejection of what God has offered to you. And so knowing this, saints, knowing the terror of the Lord, we ought to persuade others. Somebody was telling me recently, we're talking about all of the cannabinoids and everybody's all the states are rushing to to legalize marijuana which in my opinion is a disaster Uh, but the next they're already talking about psychedelic drugs next and that they're doing studies to show that these psychedelic drugs like LSD and mushrooms and things can take away one's fear of death and I was having a conversation with an herbalist over this and he thought that was a great thing and I said, God put that fear of death in man. He gave us a conscience. You're going to override it with pharmacia and block it so that you don't feel that terror and that fear? Let me just close with a couple of thoughts here. Your confidence at the time of death is dependent upon the nearness of your walk with Christ now. And also your desire to be with him in glory. If you have no desire to spend time with him now, why would you want to spend eternity with him? See, only our love for him and our desire to be with him make death desirable. That's why Paul could say, to live is Christ. Christ. To die is gain. A last quote from Sam Waldron. He says, the intermediate state anticipates the eternal state. So where we're at in our intermediate state, either in hell or before the throne of God, worshiping him, reigning with him, observing, worshiping, all of these things... Yet without our physical body yet, it's an anticipation of our future hope, as when Christ returns, we're reunited with our body, ever to live with him. Let me end with First Peter, chapter one. Just a promise. such a beautiful promise. Peter says he's he's addressing the strangers scattered throughout Asia. But he says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy." You and I don't deserve anything. He's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us a living hope because of Christ's resurrection. to To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that cool? That's something to live for. Father, thank you for your word, your promises. Thank you for eternal life in Christ. Oh, Father, I pray for any that are here tonight that are resisting you. They sense that that sweet tug, that sweet drawing of your spirit, that irresistible grace. Well, oh, Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to draw them, finish the work in them, that they would cry out to you to save, for you to save them. Father, we thank you and praise you. Amen.